Hello and welcome to In The Frame. For today's episode, we're crossing the pond, we're going off to New York to speak to Broadway's very own Josh Lehman. So recently, Josh starred in The Prom on Broadway as Sheldon. He was also the understudy for Barry. Um, And if you haven't heard of The Prom, it's the most incredible show. Go listen to the cast album. There's a film coming out soon. I, I got to see it during a trip last year and it was the highlight of my year one of my favorite 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 shows um he's also the host of my favorite theater podcast josh swallows broadway if you haven't listened to it before also go and check out the podcast it's so much fun it's wild there are no boundaries and josh gets amazing people on and they just had the best chats Josh has had an amazing career on Broadway. His Broadway credits include Groundhog Day, Finding Neverland, Elf, Into the Woods and Tear. He also played Bok in the US tour of Wicked and right before lockdown, he was in Emoji Land off Broadway. So because I'm obsessed with the prom and because I love Josh Swallow's Broadway, this was such a treat for me. I was honestly geeking out during this episode. Uh, He's just so refreshingly honest and also so hilariously funny and outrageous. Please note there is a little bit of strong language throughout the episode. This isn't one for young ears. Here's the interview. Josh Lehman, you're in the frame. Oh my gosh, I'm in the frame at last. Hi, Andrew. (laughs) It's so nice to see you. You too, you too. Thank you so much for putting me in the frame at last. I can (laughs) finally sleep again. I know what... (laughs) I'm the lucky one. I'm really excited because I've I've loved you. I've loved your podcast. Um, and I am really excited that you've come on my podcast. It's like two theatre podcasters unite. Yes, I know. We're we're uniting our countries now. <laughs> Finally we'll have peace between us. <laughs> so um paint the picture for people listening. Where where are you right now? Where have you been spending this period of quarantine? Oh, this lovely period of quarantine. Mm. Um I'm in New York City. Right, right. Nice. Yeah. And I'm has in... it been mad there? Oh, it's been just wonderful. Um, no, it's been terrible, just like it's been everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I'm actually leaving the city in August um, right. for a while just because I have to get out of here, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and the industry is sort of dead until further notice. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like I feel like, you know, when your favorite grandma dies and everybody's like, we know we love grandma too, but you have to leave grandma's house now. Yeah. You know, because yeah. grandma's not coming back. Except this time grandma is coming back. But she is. they're like, there's no point in waiting in grandma's house. She's going to come back fit, healthy, with a new lease of life. But it might be a while away. And it's going to be yeah. a lot of hard work to, to get her back. Exactly. So why stay in New York City mm. in the summer when it's hot and... 
you know, also, do you live in London, Andrew? I'm just out of London. I'm not, I get lots of country around me where I am. Oh, but, so... but I think that helps me because I'm not seeing the theatres every day. I'm not seeing the West End every day. So I think it must be really hard for people who live in New York or who live in London, like in the centre, because they're seeing these beloved buildings and what is normally their home and their livelihood, that being faced with it every day. It is, but also it's hard seeing what's happening um, to the people, not just in our industry, but also like an example in this, uh, I don't know how to phrase this correctly, so if I offend anybody, please forgive me, but um, as far as the homeless community, especially the community that struggles with um, severe addiction, um, their normal source of income from tourists have gone. So they are much more aggressive than they were before. Mm. And, um, you know, it feels a bit more dangerous like it did back in the 90s, you know, because everything is abandoned. Mm. Um, so it's just not, it's just not really New York right now. Mm -hmm. And um, you were in you were in a show right before you before this happened. You were in Emoji Land. Yeah, I was. And I remember seeing you on social media. You you saying as as stuff was starting to happen. I remember saying you, you were like, "I'm not doing stage door anymore. We've got to think about our health." And slowly, stuff you could see stuff was shutting. And I think Emoji Land closed quite quickly compared to some other things, right? It did no no and actually <clears throat> Emoji Land was the last show to close. Oh. Um, wow those producers really tried to push it. I actually left the show before they closed. Right, okay, Because right. I was like, hey, everybody, there's a global pandemic. And, you know, like, I hate to break it to you, but we're playing emojis. And there's a lot of things that I'm going to, that I'd be willing to die for. But playing an emoji is not one of those things, <laughs> you know? And they kept the show, they kept trying to get the show going for the rest of the week. The, that cast was coming in every day, that crew, the musicians, the ushers, the box, everybody. And then every day at showtime, they would cancel. And sure enough, a lot of people got sick. Mm. And it must have been, uh, I mean, it's a big decision because a lot of people would... Uh, a lot of people wouldn't have stopped doing it. I wouldn't have, have walked out of it. But it's, it's that balance, isn't it? You've got to weigh everything up. And it's not worth the risk. Like, it isn't. No. Well, I've learned in my career that if you don't say no, no one's going to say it for you. And I believe everybody on every production is given two diva dollars to spend. Now, I'm not saying be a dick and be like, Andrew's in my frame. Get him out. No, that is not an appropriate diva dollar. That makes you a jerk. But when there's a global pandemic and they're forcing you to come into Times Square on the subway into a backstage that cannot fit a shoe yet has a million people in it, uh, no, like, I'm sorry. You can sue me if you wish, but you know, that'll cost you more than the production did. 
And I'm an actor, so if you think I have the money to pay you, like, I can give you a cat. <laughs> like a cat. You know? Yeah. Is that so, true? eat a dick. I'm not going to die for your show. Mm-hmm. That's I, how I feel. I think very wise, very wise words. True. I want to know what other diva dollars you've used in your time. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> at Finding Neverland, I used to fly across the stage, and yeah. they dropped me. <laughs> <gasps> what <laughs> yeah i i dropped and keep in mind like the flying system is rigged so if something happens it will catch you and it caught me but i still had like a two three second free fall <gasps> and it was really scary and i was really shook up and it's the production stage manager's job to like the psm to come up and uh tony yasbeck i think was coming back into the show for alfie bow or something Alfie Bow or Matthew Morrison, I forget which one was leaving at the time, but Tony Yazbek was coming back into the show. He'd already done the show. Mm-hmm. And the PSM was out front watching him. And meanwhile, after watching me just have this traumatic event, and they did not come back to check on me. And so I texted them and I said, hey, are you going to come back and talk to me about what just happened? Or is Tony Yazbek just that good? And finally they came back and, you know, I was like, so before I get back into that flying thing, I need to know what happened and how it's going to be fixed. And as I was leaving the theater, I overheard them say, oh, well, we have to come in early tomorrow and give Josh a little dog and pony show. Oh no. And I was like, oh no, bitch. I'm not the one bitch. I didn't say anything, but I was like, see you tomorrow for the dog and pony show. And so this person is a very tiny petite person. Um, For you listeners at home, as much as my voice sounds petite, I'm not. Um, And so this petite little thing is flying around the stage going, look, Josh, look how safe it is. And they come down and I go, good for you. So what happened and how did you fix it? And they didn't have an answer. They couldn't answer it because they didn't check. They just saw that the machine was working again. And in front of the producers, I said, I would die, literally, I said, I would die for a lot of things. I would die to be in the Bette Midler Hello Dolly. I would die to be in a new Sondheim show. I would die to be in a het television series. I will not die for finding fucking Neverland. (laughs) And next thing you know, they got in the team and they found out what went wrong and they fixed it. Because if you don't say no, no one will say no for you. And that was just a matter of safety. If it was a matter of Andrew being in my frame, I wouldn't have cared. But like, if you drop me when I'm flying and then pretend like it's no big deal, I have a diva dollar and I'm going to use it. Mm. Yeah. I'm not the one. Yeah. I, I don't care. I will not die for finding Neverland. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I think that's another diva dollar very well spent. Yeah. Gary Barlow, you're very gifted. I'm not going to die for your show. <laughs> you're, very, you're a very sweet man, Gary. I love you. 
I will love you to the day that I die. You're very nice. Right. Let's talk. Let's talk about your podcast. Let's talk about Josh Swallows Broadway. Josh Swallows Broadway. Because, and I promise you, I am not just saying this, but I listen. Well, since doing this podcast, I listen to very few other theatre podcasts. You know, I try. I listen to all sorts of other things, but one of the few, or maybe the only, I think, other theatre podcast that I listen to is yours. Because it is so much fun and it is you have these kind of natural conversations with people or well, I don't know if natural is the right word these crazy conversations with people and you never know which direction they're going to go in and they're funny and you have amazing relationships with them because lots, lots of the people you have on you've worked with you've had different shared experiences and they're not I feel like you don't sit there with a notepad or with kind of a, a contrived list of questions you're put together I feel like it literally you press record and then off you go you have a chat is that the case? Yeah, um, I, you know, one of the producers on the show always does like a little fact list just for me to look at and go over um, just in case. But I really prefer interviewing people that I'm familiar with um, mm -hmm. because I'm not a journalist. I'm not interested in being a journalist. Um, I don't want to be like, oh my God, Stephanie Block, you're amazing. So what's the worst thing that happened to you in your childhood kitchen? Cry. You know, like that's not my journey and that's not what the show is. I want us to have like real legit conversations about the business, like the diva dollars, about our lives. Uh, like when Stephanie got arrested for bringing a taser gun or whatever on an airplane, mm -hmm. like that is hilarious that Stephanie Block was charged with a felony. Like, come on. Um, like that to me is interesting and fun. And yeah. that's the kind of stuff that I would have wanted to listen to when I was growing up. Because mm. Broadway was not accessible. It's just like these Broadway actors to me were just unattainable celebrities when I was a kid, rather yeah. than just like people. Yeah, 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 yeah. How did it, how did it come about? Was it? something that you wanted to do? Was it something that you were approached to do? I was approached to do it. And um, I, what was interesting is it all started by uh, the prom during Tony season or Olivier season or what have you, the shows go bonkers and have these campaigns. And this is for any award show you can imagine. And so I started doing interviews, um, like kind of emceeing interviews for our right. show. Yeah. And it turned out that they thought that I was really funny when I did it. And so then uh, one of the producers who was starting Broadway Podcast Company came up and said, I think that you should have your own show. And... Eventually, I got brought into a meeting with um, a producer who was interested in producing it. And they were like, well, what do you want it to be? And I said, I don't know. Uh, and basically, it was just like, okay, be yourself. Have fun. And um, I said, I don't want to learn about any of the technology stuff. I'm terrible at it. I just want to show up and have fun <laughs> yeah. and be funny. I don't want to be like, you can't hold me back or tell me what I can't say. You can't edit me. 
and um, because that's not how I work. And yeah. they said, okay, and it worked out. And it's been, for example, this like one with Matt Morrison, Matthew Morrison, and his his sequel is. Do you have his kid with him during that episode? And yeah, he was changing changing his kid, and you were having this chat. But the most recent one that I listened to, because I kind of started listening to it later on, and I've been going back and listening to some more. So I listened to the one um, with Lisa Lampanelli, and she. I didn't know. I didn't know anything about her, and she is crazy. And just the the conversations you two were having were just. I was driving. It's probably dangerous for me to be driving whilst listening to her and you together. But it's raucous. It's so much fun. It's so 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 funny. So great. Yeah. Lisa's my favorite stand-up comedian of all time. Even though she's not really a stand-up anymore. Even though I still tell her that she is. Um, and to have her on the show, like that was a dream come true. And one of my favorite parts about the show is we get fans to, Mm -hmm. you know, who writing questions and then we surprise them and call them and all that kind of stuff. And the way that Lisa Lampanelli like handled these fans, these- She did not hold back. No. It was just hilarious. And um and I have, on episode, one of my favorite callers was remember that old that older guy who called in and he was so complimentary. I can't remember who you were with, who you were interviewing. He yeah. was just so complimentary and he was saying that you're changing lives and he was just so happy and and it was just I don't the, the everyone involved, everyone you have on is is so much fun. It was really sweet. That day I was actually really depressed about something. I forget what. I remember like not even wanting to come in and do the show that day, but you know, it's on a schedule and you have to. And I got to the studio and I was like, okay, 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 get into it, get into it, let's do it. And then that guy called in and I remember being like, I remember like asking my producers after if they set that up to cheer me up or something. And they were like, no, honestly. It was like a miracle. It was like a Hanukkah miracle or something that like God sent someone to cheer me up. After I can remember which episode that was. Neither can I, but... I can't remember who it was. I'll try and find it and post it on the description of this. So one thing that you always speak to uh, with your guests about is when they came to New York. And that's a big thing. And I think it's one of the the biggest differences between the industries in the West End and on Broadway, because... Obviously, the U.S. is huge, so and theatre and New York is where it's at for theatre. So you kind of have to come to New York to make it. Whereas London is much more accessible for different places in the U.K. So I don't think we kind of have. Oh, of course, people move to London, but not not everyone has to. I don't think everyone's stories are as are as big as the way that um, they are in America. So what was I want to know what what your story was of when you came to New York. So I know you spoke on your podcast a lot as well about how you didn't work straight away, you didn't find yourself on Broadway straight away, and it was a big journey for you to kind of to kind of get to where yeah. you are. Yeah, I'm actually writing a show about this right now. Um, it's a, it's you know a lot of it's very grim, but um, to to put it all in a nutshell, um, I. I went to college in Philadelphia and I dropped out of college in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. Um, I got into a extremely abusive relationship with a drug addict and I too was like partying a lot. And I was a female phone sex operator. Get into it. I would go, hi, I'm Fiona. 
And um, yeah, she she's made some appearances on the podcast as well. She... Oh yeah, she has. <laughs> and then um, I randomly, I mean, this is the nutshell version. Uh, auditioned for a local theater and got my equity card randomly. And um, then when things hit the fan and my life was in serious danger with um, my ex, I had nowhere to go. And so my friend had an opening in his apartment and I really had nowhere to go. I had no belongings. I had nothing. And so I left and I said, okay, I'm going to try New York. And but again, it didn't happen overnight. I worked a lot in the Philly area. I would commute or sleep on couches or floors or whatever. Um, and then when I would be in New York, I would have like three jobs and try to hit open calls at the same time. Mm -hmm. Until finally I booked a show in Texas. I booked a production of Godspell in Texas. Oh, Texas. Um, and uh, then at that show, uh, one of the, the guy playing Jesus, his agent came and his agent signed me. And that's how mm -hmm. I got my agent. And then things sort of started moving from there slowly. You know? what, was your, what do you consider to be your, your break? The big, what was one of the first big moments? My first big show was Wicked. Um, and that was on the road, right? That you were yeah, it was uh, shortly after the... The, sh the show opened in, in New York. So it was still a, the big, 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 big monster hit um, at the time. And um, I was Bach. It was very exciting. And um, I learned a lot. It was very exciting and very disappointing. He said it was tough, though, being on the road and. and oh, it was a monster. Was a crazy time for you. Yeah. Um, it was a very hard experience. Um, you know, Wicked is sort of known for living up to their name, if that makes sense. Um, we used to say, show me on the doll where Wicked touched you. We'd like, Wicked can't hurt you anymore. You're safe, just show me on the doll. And, um, you know, it's like you go to Wicked excited and you leave Wicked with a therapist. But that must be so, especially when it's your first big break and it's that's what you've been you know you've been wanting to do something big you've been wanting to be an actor wanting to be on Broadway and here you are you're in a big show you're playing a role and you must feel like right I'm here I've made it and then when it's live up to your expectation that's a crazy kind of thing to digest and to compete with right because you're well, like well what's the dream now yes and no that was just one experience but it did teach me a lot I didn't know how to stand up for myself I didn't know that that was just one person that was creating that toxic atmosphere, you know? Um, but when I was that young and impressionable, keep in mind, like the year before that, I did the Atkins diet, which um, was like a really popular fad diet where you like eat zero carbs and you lose all of your weight very rapidly. What they don't tell you is that you gain it even more rapidly the minute you eat a carb. And so I literally went from somebody who's always been a big person to a toothpick, like rapidly. I couldn't see it because of how rapid it happened. And I'd always been a big person. Mm. So I was dealing with that, which was just a big, am I allowed to say the F word? 
Did I yeah. already say it? You it's a big say, mind I think, fuck. Yeah. I think you've already said it. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I just swear a lot. Um, <laughs> um, sorry, mom. Um, <clears throat> and then dealing with not being good enough, not being this enough, not being that enough for nine months and then being told, okay, goodbye. That was really hard. Then uh, three months after that, my best friend uh, just sort of died, just fell down dead. It was very sudden. It was very random. He was very healthy. It was like an aneurysm kind of thing. Mm. And that is what crushed me, I think, for a long time. That's what made life really hard. Um, mm. And it was uh, two more years before I'd make my Broadway debut. And I did a lot of regional theater in that time. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of drinking in that time. And um, I was just very sad for two years. And I just didn't really think I wanted to do it anymore, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And um, then what, what was what was your Broadway debut? It was Hair. And that was a pretty special it time for you? It was the best. Yeah, it was amazing. And you were singing on that, right? You were, you were a swing. The first and... six months, I was a swing. Then yeah. I took over for uh, Theo Stockman. And then I took over for Andrew Kober. Right. Everyone, so you had like Gavin Creel, Casey Levy, right? It was I this know. really special bunch of people. Lots and lots and lots of people. And, um, and then they ended up coming to London as well. And everyone who I've, I've heard in interviews discuss this production, who was in it, has always spoken about it in such a... Special isn't even a good enough word, almost a sacred way. Like it's this really uh, crazy experience and you all became this tribe, it sounds like. We still are. We There's a text thread that still, you know, people talk on it every day. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll get out of like an appointment or like I'll be watching a TV show and then I'll look at my phone and I'm like, I have 80 text messages. And I'll be <laughs> like, oh. The hair tribe. <laughs> we are still very much connected. How did it, how do you think that formed? Why, I know it's a very special show, but wh- why did that happen? Why did you wh- connect on that level? Magic. It was magic. We were lucky. They were lucky. They assembled a group of people. And it wasn't always like daisies and flowers. Some of us didn't get along very well. You know, there were fights, there were arguments, there were tears before bedtime. Um, You know, there were romances, there were like lots of things. Mm. But also we were all young. For so many of us, this was our first thing. And our first thing happened to be a huge hit. And when you're in a huge hit and it's your like first thing, I mean, you just think that that's how it always is. And, you know... It's just, you're on top of the world and you're young in New York and it's just, there's no way to describe it. It's just, Mm. you're a family. We also would, you know, take our activism and put it into the streets for the fight for marriage equality. And um, we still, you know, today with the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, we still are talking about what we can do, not only for each other, but for the world and as a tribe, if we can do something as a group to, Mm. you know, highlight things Mm. and whatnot. Mm. Mm. And the producers were so supportive and incredible of that, right? Because didn't you once 
Did you have you had like a show off so you could go and and go into a performance and yeah we canceled a show so we could go down to DC in March. So few people in power in our industry wouldn't you know canceling a show is a big deal that that costs a lot of money. But that's but the, the whole point of hair. Yeah, and uh, we would announce it during a. At the end, when the audience was on stage with us dancing, after the dance, uh, Gavin or whoever would announce to everybody what we were doing. We were raising money to get buses to bring more people down, and you could sponsor a bus for like a thousand bucks and to bring uh, people down, mm. and uh, people did. Yeah. And um, what was your experience of being a swing like? How did you, how did you find that world? It's it's hard. It's really hard, especially like hair, which is organized chaos. <laughs> it's not like you go to two and sit your suitcase down on three and look this way. It's, you know, it's organized chaos that is precise yet not precise. But I also have a fear of being terrible. So I would watch it like a hawk. So I felt like when I went on, I knew what I was doing and I was good. Um, mm there were parts of it that were really hard. Like, you know, you feel left out a lot. Mm. Um, opening nights, that kind of stuff. You're mm. just, you know, chilling in the wings. I remember opening night, I was standing outside the stage door at intermission, just sort of looking around at all the celebrities and just kind of being like, yeah, this is cool. I wish I was a part of it. And out comes Elaine Stritch and her entourage. <sighs> And she's walking towards the stage door. It's on 45th. The stage door, she's walking towards 9th Avenue. She's walking down. She opens up the stage door and she goes, your kids are great! And slams the door and continues walking towards 9th Avenue. Like, act one was enough for her. <laughs> so, I got to see that. <laughs> and then, but having had that experience... In, in Wicked previously and, and finding things, you know, taking a while to kind of get to that moment. Was that a big turning point? Did it did it kind of like re-inspire you or did you, did you had you never lost that kind of drive for wanting well, to still do it? The thing is, is that when you're a swing, before you go on and make your debut, you're just a lady in waiting. Mm. It was someday in April, like maybe April 22nd or 23rd, when I finally got to make my Broadway debut. And I remember calling my mom and telling her, you know, I'm going on tonight. And I mean, that's when things change. That's when your dreams come true. That's when all of the pain, all of the bullshit, all of the nightmares paid off. Was she able to come? Where is she? is she? No, she's in San Diego. Right. She came eventually. You know, I was lucky and got to play different parts over the years with the show. So, mm -hmm. you know, all my family got to see me in the show. Mm -hmm. And you had this really amazing special experience. But I know you're, I've, I've heard you before speaking about how then when Gavin and Casey and all those people went to London, you kind of saw that the house was starting to get emptier and you kind of, it kind of started to come to an end. That that was a big kind of wake up call and that was a crazy experience because you're in this amazing world you're part of this tribe and then for it to then come to an end eventually it must have been well heartbreaking of course it was it was also like i i really wanted to go to london i was supposed to go to london 
And then Andrew Cooper didn't call out once. I'd never gone on for Margaret Mead. He finally took a vacation. And my first show on, Diane Paulus came to see me do Margaret. And after the show, they offered me Margaret on Broadway. And I was like really excited, but I didn't want, I wanted to go to London. And it was sort of, sort of, um, not not really necessarily told to me, but it was suggested that they could take away the London offer if they wanted to. That basically I'm going to be staying in New York and playing Margaret. Mm. And, um, you know, it, it wasn't a bad thing to get to play that role. And, uh, but the, the new cast didn't have enough time. They, the... It just like, I don't know. I felt like it was all, it was all wrong and it just didn't work. And everybody knew it didn't work. And as soon as the old cast left, it was just like, and I had come downstage to sing, this is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. And I'd look up and I could count the people in the mezzanine. I'd be like, oh, shit. Better, better save those dollars. It's hard when that, it just flips like that because you're like, one minute, you're in the dream and you're like, oh, shit, here we go. Yeah. There's, it's funny, the London link there because you've had, I feel like there's a few kind of London links throughout your career. You've done, you mentioned you were in a Gary Barlow musical. You did um, Groundhog Day, which had come from London. But you've also... Which I'm really obsessed with. You've written a musical, working on a musical, and it had its premiere in London as part of MT Fest. This is bloody, um, bloody, bloody Jessica Fletcher, um, and it was at the other Palace in 2019. Did you come and see it? Were you? Did you come over? No. Uh, they. It was a situation where we wanted to come and work on it, and they were like, "That's not really the deal. Like, we're just gonna sort of present it and." you can come if you want, but we can't afford to bring you here. And um, so we said yes, you know, but I was really sad that we didn't get to be a part of it or do anything with it there. Uh, did they send you though, tapes or anything? Did you did you see it? Uh, I did hear an audio recording. Right. But it was supposed to go off Broadway in the fall. Um, so there is plans for it. And then we want to do a London. We want this to go to the UK. We think the UK will really like it. And um, it's my dream to to go to the UK and work in the UK. It's my dream. Have so, you ever been? Have you ever been to London? Um, I've never been to London. I've we been to you. France. I've been to Austria. I've been to Germany and Italy and, uh, and uh, the Netherlands. So I need to go to England. Yeah, we need we need you to come in here. That's what the that's what this line needs. Can you paint paint the picture for this show? What this is obviously the first show you've you've worked on. This is a big deal. Can you yes? Kind of, what how did this how did this kind of come around? Well, I was doing a workshop uh, with uh, my co writer Kevin Zack, and we were joking. We both love Angela Lansbury and Murder She Wrote. And he was like, we should write a musical called Bloody Bloody Angela Lansbury. And I just started dying. 
And so we did. And then, of course, uh, Angela Lansbury's people were like, she doesn't mind, but you can't use her name. And so we were like, okay, <laughs> yes, ma'am. And um, <clears throat> Angela has spoken. Yeah, so we changed the name to Bloody Bloody Jessica Fletcher. And it is a mix between Murder, She Wrote and The Book of Mormon. It is trashy. It is filthy. It is hilarious. It is campy. Beth Level has been playing Jessica Fletcher um, since the beginning. Also, Jennifer Samard has played her once. Um, it's a it's a knockout role. It's hilarious. Um, we've had great success with it over here. And I wish I could tell you more about the plans that we have for it. But um, uh, how Luftig's office, who did like Kinky Boots and all that, they're the ones who are leading it. So we wow. have good good people at the helm. If you want to bring it to London and maybe bring Beth Level with it, I think a lot of people would be if very happy. That would happy. be a dream. That would be a dream. <laughs> but I think how was it Harriet Thorpe who played that role over here? I didn't Harriet see it, did it. In, Harriet in Thorpe is a is a legend as well. She's yeah hilarious a treasure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then another kind of London show that you did um, that I've heard you talking about in crazy circumstances is Into the Woods. So we had this amazing production, which I've never seen, but I've seen a recording of it. It's on like Broadway HD and stuff, I think, um, at the Regents Park Open Air Theatre, which is one of my one of my favourite theatres over here. And then it went to New York, right? Yeah. Um, and you were a part of it and you had a... Um, it was nuts! It was not Tim Sheeter and Liam Steele are two of the best directors and uh, Liam is a choreographer in the world. And those two British men kicked our American asses so hard. They did not care. They were like, oh yes, the stage is mulch. Have fun. And you know, like through the storms, the stage would turn into mud. And meanwhile, the set's like 90 stories high and you're just, it was like that TV show Survivor. Like it was, it was nuts. And you never got to do a proper run of it before you opened, is that true? Something like that? You never no. got to do full run? No, no. All of our tech time was ruined because of lightning storms. Our first preview was a disaster. It was just a disaster. What happened? What happened? We just weren't ready yet. Like, we just everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. We just weren't ready yet. And, um, you know, that sort of was the gist. And by the second or third week, we had the show down and it was fabulous. But we needed more time. The, the elements were against us. Mm. Mm. But it is the best production of Into the Woods on the planet, in my opinion. And, um, you know, I'm very proud to have been a part of it. Mm. I It's wild that I got to be in that. I wish I saw it. I really wish I saw it. Where, where were you doing it? You were doing it... Um, in Central Park. In Central Park. and Yeah, incredible. You were just unlucky with the season. It was just yeah, no. You know, I still email like Tim every year and I'm like, so bring me to London, huh? You want to bring me to London? What are you doing in the park this year? 
You need an American, right? You don't have any fat, funny people in Britain, right? I know you don't. They're illegal. So you have to bring me. That's, yeah, what we need, that's what that's what they opened They brought over Samantha Pauly last year for Evita. They brought over an American for, for Ava. I think they're doing, they're, next year they're doing, they're doing Carousel and they're doing 101 Dalmatians, the musical. Oh, uh, well, there's nothing for me in Carousel and I don't know if I'm interested in 101 Dalmatians, the musical. <laughs> but good for them. Um... Okay, we need to talk about some little show called The Prom. Okay. So I came to New York last year and I have been listening to the cast album of The Prom, but I knew very little about what it was about. And I had the most fun I'd had in a theatre for such a long time watching the production. It's such a genius, genius show. And... What I love most about it is that it's, in many ways, it's a love letter to Broadway. It's a love letter to theatre. It's embracing the crazy world that we're a part of while also telling a really inspiring story. And I'm sure it kind of changed people's lives and moved people in all sorts of different ways whilst being fun and outrageous and embracing everything that Broadway is. And the reason, one of the biggest reasons why I loved it so much is a Londoner, someone from the West End community going over to New York, is that we would never see a musical like The Prom, I don't think, on in the West End. We'd get it in a smaller, kind of off-West End venue and it'd run for a couple of months and it would sell out. But I love that this show got to come to Broadway and that's yeah. lots of people saw it and it had this amazing journey. And you were part of it right from well, from really early on right from the top yeah and that's really special and when I talk to people on this podcast you know and you kind of say oh what do you want to do what, what excites you people are always talking about wanting to do new work and get to develop something so I want to rewind a bit so when did you kind of first hear about it when you first came into the project what was it like so I know you were almost like doing a a different role right and it can change a lot yeah well uh when I first heard about it, I was doing the, I was doing development for Waitress and I did not want to do the prom. I, but what was becoming clear to my agents was that Waitress was not taking me any further. And what were you doing in Waitress? I was just in the ensemble. Right. I think I just would have covered like Ogie or something, but it became clear that like that was not going to be my journey, but I was fighting that hard because, you know, I've known Diane for a very long time We're mm -hmm. we're booze and I was trying to use that. And my agent kept on going, Josh, no, here's this new show. It's untitled. It's called the prom right now. And it's Casey Nicola, it's Brooks, it's Beth, it's Chris, it's it's all these people. Um, I think you should do it. I think you should be in this room. And I was like, oh, no, I don't, it sounds stupid. The prom, no. But finally I did it. And from the minute that rehearsal started, I was over the moon in love, obsessed in love. The funniest thing I'd ever, been a part of the most touching thing um and then everything in my career revolved around that wow like um like I quit finding Neverland to do the out of town you know just because I had to 
And at the time I was still in the ensemble. Um, I played the coach of the school and um, I named the coach Boomer. (laughs) And uh, Teddy Toy, who's the boy with the red backwards uh, baseball hat and the hockey stick, he was my son in the show. And so he was Boomer Jr. (laughs) And we called his hockey stick the Boom Boom Stick. And um, my big line was like, my son doesn't have to go to no homosexual prom. (laughs) And uh, then uh, the guy that they cast as Sheldon, uh, fantastic, fantastic actor, but he he's like the type of actor that belongs in like the film Goodfellas or like he's that type of actor. He didn't fit in into the world of Beth and Brooks and Chris and Angie. And they needed somebody who did. Mm. And next thing you know, Casey comes up to me and says, at the end of the week, we're letting him go. He doesn't know it yet. You're going into rehearsals. You're not allowed to tell anybody. He's like, nobody knows about this. So don't tell anybody. And that was the hardest thing, especially because like, you know, like my colleague was this man and I really like this man and admire his work. And when you're like going into work and being like, hey, how are you? Knowing what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's not your fault, but it sort of feels like your fault. Yeah, but it's yeah. not your fault. Yeah. But also you're like, well, shit, what if I suck? Then I get the can too. I wanted to be like, well, yeah, I'll do it. But can I go back to my old part if I suck? Mm. You know, but um, I got very lucky that they kept me and I got to take it to Broadway. You didn't suck. Well, you know, it, it, it's all, you know, maybe to some people I did, but I, I got to do it on Broadway and wow. And it was, I mean... I don't know where to start. It's just that the, it's, uh, what I love, I think what, what I think is really clever about the show is that you don't have to be in the Broadway circles or in the theatre circles to enjoy it and to take so much away from it. I think it, I actually recommended it to quite a few friends who were going over and some of them were just, you know, just like normal family member who worked in, uh, who worked in finance and had a daughter who liked this. I said, go and see the prom, go and see the prom. And then they still talk to me about it now because they loved it. Um, and they don't, they would not have got all those kind of clever references that I was sitting there chuckling at um, that were, you know, pointing the finger at, at the community and at the industry. My favourite moment is I'm Beth Level's character gets out her awards at the hotel. <laughs> it's like the best. Do you have a suite now? <laughs> and then you were covering Barry, right? Who is this amazing character? Amazing, amazing role. What was that like? How much? How much freedom did you get to have fun with that? And to they let to me. Do your they thing let me it? do my own thing, and I did my own thing because I'm not Brooks. I'm me, but Brooks is also my hero. He's one of my closest friends and um, I look up to him and he created this role. This role is his role. And he gave me a blueprint, blueprint, blueprint. He gave me a blueprint to follow. And I studied it from the first day of the first rehearsal because I knew that I was there to cover him. Mm. 
And that is why I stayed because that role means so much to me. So I was able to study him creating this part and I was able to honor what he created. And then I was able to put myself into his creation. Mm. Mm. And I mean, I've been saying how, as an audience member, how special I, I found it and and how moving it was for me. But as for, for you guys, as everyone in the cast, everyone involved in it, why was it so special for you? What was it? What was it? What was it like? It was like hair. Lightning struck. We're a family to this day. We will always be connected. Mm. Um, it was just, we were always the underdog. We never knew if we were going to make it to Broadway. Many times it looked like we weren't. And, you know, there, it wasn't always good times, you know, but we are a family and um, it's lightning in a bottle. And I don't expect that I'll ever have an experience as good as that again. What was it like when you were in the run? Were you having fun on stage? Were you being naughty? What was going on in the world? Oh, we were always being naughty. Always. (laughs) I want stories. What was happening? What were you doing? We just, I mean, it's not that we were goofing off. We weren't goofing off, but we are all such good friends and Brooks can't keep it together when things go awry. Like if Brooks, if anybody messes up a line, it's over. It is just over, especially Brooks. Brooks will just start improvising when he goes up on a line. Like there was this one time where he's supposed to go like, I don't care if we have to decorate that gym with our own hair and blood. Emma is getting the prom that she deserves. And he was like, I don't care if, oh, that, oh, that dirty, dirty gym. It's dirty and disgusting and it's filthy. And I hate a filthy gym. (laughs) And he just started rambling. And um, I have all these recordings of, us just screwing up our lines or like <laughs> you, you won't get the visual of this at home but one day I tripped on my words I was supposed to say she makes herself look like the victim and I tripped up on, on my words so it sounded Italian I meant she makes herself look like a victim <laughs> and everybody on stage just like stopped and like looked at me <laughs> and Then like everybody, you know, when you put your hands together and lift them up and shake them like that Italian thing. Yes. And then whenever anybody had a line like towards (laughs) me, they would emphasize it with that. (laughs) Just to, just to mess with me. Um, You know, it was just a constant ball. (laughs) And then do you think, you know, it will tour and I'm sure we will get to see it. Yes, again. there's plans for would a national you, tour. And would you like say if the Royal Barry there is came hope up for London? That's what that's what I want. That's what I want. But would you be able to having had that experience and it being so special, would you want to do it again? Would you be able to do it again? Um, yes, I would. I would. Barry is something special. I would. I would really like to do London. Um, for sure. Um, mm. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. Mm. We'll see mm. what happens. I would love 
to see it over here. And after going through everything that everyone's going through right now, it would be curious. I think it all depends on how the movie does. Yes. So if anyone doesn't know listening, it's Meryl Streep and James Corden and lots of other people are in this Netflix adaptation of it, which um, this this film version that Netflix are doing. And um, yeah, I guess that could, in some ways, I guess that could propel it to a new, to a to a wider audience. And then maybe it could become more commercial. That's the hope. Mm, mm. Um, this has been amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. Can we end on one more Diva Dolly? Diva Dolly. That's a very different kind of thing. Diva one more... Dolly. <laughs> one more Diva Dollar story. Yeah, let me let me try and think of one. Um, Diva Dollars. How did I spend them? Hey. Um, yeah, I guess it wasn't, it's not really a fun Diva Dollar story. But Groundhog Day, the set, was just those five turntables were a nightmare for us in New York because they would never work. And then one day, in a song one day, right before intermission, something happened where it was called wrong and all of them went haywire and they started going faster at the wrong time and spinning in different ways at the wrong time and everybody started falling over. And it was just a nightmare. Um, somebody almost got like really hurt. And I flipped out. And I wasn't the only one, but we all spent our collective diva dollars to force the union to come in and uh, force the producers to come in. And I remember Oh, I remember sort of, I apologize for it later, but the PSM, I remember being like, you don't seem to care about our safety because this happens all the time. So I don't know if you're covering up for the producers or what, but this needs to end now. And I remember coming up later and being like, I'm sorry, I said that because I was very angry. And he was like, no, don't apologize. I, you had every right to say that. And, uh, scary that's terrifying though yeah so when you spend a diva dollar it should be about safety Mm. not because you know so and so you know didn't wear deodorant or something (laughs) it should be a diva dollar well spent that's the important message um and people can go you're doing online coaching right and is there information about that on your website and also there's a people can support the podcast as well and tell us more about that yeah, you can go to patreon.com slash Josh Swallows Broadway and support season two, which we're working on right now. Good. You can get uh, Josh Swallows Broadway um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. You can find me on Instagram at Josh period layman. <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah, you and can find me. London, watch out because we need some, some Josh Lehman action over here very soon. That's right. God <laughs> save the me. thank you so much Josh thank you Andrew that was so fun thank you so much to Josh for taking time out to record this episode of In The Frame some really touching stories in there really powerful moments and so many laughs it was a treat to record thank you so so much Josh um, make sure you visit joshlayman.com for more info about Josh, including all of his online coaching. And you also have to subscribe to his podcast, Josh Swallows Broadway. 
If you haven't listened to it before and you're about to start from the beginning for the first time, I am so jealous of you. If you enjoyed this episode of In The Frame, please hit that subscribe button and it would be amazing if you could leave a little Apple Podcast rating and review. Make sure you also check out our other podcast, The West End Frame Show, to stay up to date with everything going on in Theatreland. You can also find West End Frame on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. We are taking two weeks off now. We get a little mini summer break. But I will be back next month with Helen Wolf, who is currently starring as Glinda in Wicked.